The last few months, we've, uh, we've had a walk through the painful and glorious letter of James. And today, we are breaking forth into fresh waters. We are going to be setting sail on a new series, uh, called, basically called Church, the Hope of the World. Now, if you were to ask the average person in this nation, what do you think of when you say the word church? What would people say? Hand in the air, quick. Dynamic, really? Okay, of course they would. Oliver Knight. Boring. Anything else? You say, what's a church? It's a building. Does someone say that? Irrelevant hypocrites. There we go. There we go. A bit of honesty. That's great. Weird things, basically. And so, as we were, as an eldership, we were just thinking about what we wanted to do. Uh, normally, we work our way through a book of the Bible. And uh, after we've done this, we're going to do a mini-series on Psalms. Uh, in, in the beginning of September, and then launch into the beginning of Genesis. But we really felt it was very important, God was impressing on us clearly, to do a thematic thing, which basically means you take the theme, and then we look at different scriptures in order to look at that. And we felt God say, I really want you to just, as it were, to again look at what it means to be a New Testament church. Because the reality is you're living in a, in a society, in a nation, which has no idea the sort of things that you and I would think that everyone gets, that church is, of course, church is dynamic, it's fun, it's, it's awesome, it's where you go to meet God, etc., etc. That could not be further from the truth. You and I, if you have any Christian, non-Christian friends, you're, you're going, yeah, absolutely. When they think I go to church on a Sunday, they think, boring, weird, freaky, fine, that's okay for you, but no relevance to me. And out of a burning passion to correct this awful, awful wrong thinking in this nation... Uh, we are doing this series, and we're going to be looking uh, week in, week out, at what it means to be a New Testament church. Bill Hybels, who leads a fantastic church called Willow Creek, it's a mere 30,000, something like that, full of, and it's not about the size, it's about the passion for God in that church. I want to say that, but it is big as well, it's great. Um, in, in Chicago, he says this, and this is an anointed, uh, I think an anointed quotation. Uh, I just love it. This is his passion for the local church in a world that doesn't get it. He says, there is nothing like the local church when it is working right. Its beauty is indescribable, as we've been singing. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and it heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and it offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and it opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed and it offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Amen? Amen. Amen. He says still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other thing on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Amen. That's why we're going to, in our own uh, weak way, attempt in the next few months to be looking at what it means to be a church which lives and burns with that kind of understanding of the church and which resists the world's understanding of the church as something anything less than that. So we're going to be looking at things like the praying church, the giving church, the judgment-believing church, the Bible-exalting church. Next week, we're going to, next week, we're looking at the fruitful church as Tim Wilson opens up God's scriptures. But today, I want us to look at a truth that we can often overlook, and it's written behind me. Who leads the church? Jesus. That's rubbish. Who leads the church? Jesus. Absolutely. Ultimately, it is not me. 
Ultimately, it's not Gustav. Ultimately, it was not Barry. We are under shepherds, under the great shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. And I want us to just get this right before anything else, because the reality is, all the other things that we're going to be looking at spring from this first fundamental thing. And if we don't get this clear, we won't understand it. It's because it's Jesus' church that we pray, because he's the leader of it, and he wants us to talk to him, and him talk back to us. We're a giving church because it's Jesus' church, and he gave his life. So we give everything in response to it, and so on. But today, I want us to look at what it means to be someone, a a church that echoes Jesus' passion for one specific thing. That of mission. That of mission. Because the Bible uses this phrase. It says, Jesus is the head of the body. We are the body, the church. This local church and all the churches in the world. And Jesus Christ is the head. And it says... It says to us, you have to be like your head. See, the Bible uses loads of different descriptions to describe us as God's people and him. It says sometimes, you are an army and he's your leader. It sometimes says, you are the clay and he's the potter. It sometimes says, you are the sheep and he's the shepherd. But when it comes to this, he uses, I think, the most intimate language there is. He says, you are his body and he's your head. And if your head... Jesus Christ, your leader, is absolutely white-hot passion about mission. And when I say mission, all I mean, all I mean, what I mean is that God wants to tell this world he is there and that he loves them and that he wants relationship. If we define mission in that broad but helpful way, and if that is what our head Jesus Christ is passionate about, then friends, that's what his body, you and I, need to be passionate about. And so with that in mind, can we turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It's going to come up on the screen behind me if you haven't got your Bibles. So this is a description, and it's already been read today. It's one of just, it's one of those passages you could read every day for the rest of your life, and you'd still be like, you know, it's terrifying, it's daunting to preach from as as a preacher, because it's just so glorious. But I think what it does is, one of the many things it does, it shows us the passion for mission that our head, Jesus Christ, has. So look for that as a theme as we go through it. Verse 15, this is describing Jesus, the head of this body, the leader of this church. Jesus, he, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, doesn't matter. All things were created through him and for him. Remember that. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Remember that. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Lord Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we just, just say that we love it, that you are in control. What a joy to know that you, Jesus, are the head of this church. Lord, what a joy to know that now, as, as new creations, we can genuinely expect to become more and more like you. Jesus, as we, as we focus on your word today, we say, would you blow on us by your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, we earnestly seek you in a dry land without water. We ask for you just to kiss us with your presence. Stir hearts today. Convict hearts. Encourage hearts. Lord Jesus, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage, I think, in four different ways, it declares... Christ's passion for mission. In four different ways, we see four different declarations of Christ's passion for mission. Number one, a creation declaration. Number one, a creation declaration. Number two, an incarnation declaration. Number three, a substitution declaration. And number four, a resurrection declaration. Four declarations, four ways in which Christ in this passage demonstrates like a heartbeat all the way through it. Just understand my white hot passion for mission to this earth. So number one, creation declaration. What do I mean by that? We see in verse, 14, uh, verse 16, rather, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. It's not just that Jesus Christ, as the great creator, the only creator, has created all the things we can see and touch in this room, all the things that we can't see and touch in this room, all the things that we can't see and touch in the heavenlies that are right now worshipping Jesus. He's done it all for him. Yes, we enjoy it, but it's all ultimately for his glory. It is all ultimately to point to Jesus. All of creation is ultimately a signpost to God. He's declaring the reality of God from heaven. When Jesus created this world, he did it in such a way that even before 0 AD when he came to this earth, it's like he's shouting out, you know if you play hide and seek? You know when you play hide and seek and you go, so all the, everyone's zoomed off into the different parts and you go, and you finish your counting and you go, ready or not, here I come. And it's like Jesus, before he even moved, before he even thought about coming to this earth, through creation, he's cried out, ready or not, here I come. He's shouted out to this world. When you look at anything, if you've got a heartbeat, it screams of a, of a creator. When you look at a flower, it declares that there's a God who made it. When you look at a sunset, it proclaims that that creator is Jesus. When you look at anything gorgeous or anything at all, you just think, it declares God for thousands of years, no matter how old you think the earth is. And I, well, who who knows? We're going to get into that in September. But however old you think this earth is, the first point here is that all things were created through him and for him to point to him, to declare that there is a creator. It's glorious. 
is that as he fashioned things, I mean, what would that be like? Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, you know, just there, just let's, let's create this universe. And, you know, let's do it in such a way that it's so obvious to those that are made in my image that there's a creator. It will declare, it will boom out that there's a God. It's glorious. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. This universe, this creation, is a declaration of God's heart for mission. It's, it's a missional tool. It's, it's something God hasn't just made to look pretty and go, oh, isn't the Niagara Falls nice? It's designed so that for someone who's, who's never had any other experience of God would stand by it and go, oh, I feel so small. Maybe, just, maybe, maybe this isn't just an accident. Maybe this wasn't just some random chart. Maybe this is designed to be like this. Maybe it's designed to be like that. And what that means is, is that for us, at such a time as this, when the entire world is screaming, we've ruined the planet. When everyone is starting to wake up to the fact, we've ruined this planet. It is a hugely prophetic truth for us. Because the reality is, you think, why are people so bothered about the fact that this world, this planet, has been raped and pillaged and just abused? Is it because of just the fact that there's a fear that, oh, that the seas might rise a few feet? Or it might get a bit hotter? I mean, in Britain, that's a, a good thing. Of course it isn't. It isn't just to do with fear. It's because we're made in his image. And he's a creator God. And so there's something in all of us that goes... We've done something terrible. Yes, it's going to have a, a tangible effect. And yes, the fact that you know, an area the size of a football pitch is just mown down every five seconds in the Brazilian rainforest. And that means there's less rain, which means the Sahara Desert, which is the same size as the United States of America, is advancing all the time. Yes, there's those obvious reasons why it's a bad thing. But I think there's a deeper reason in this whole world right now that is going, I, we just feel that we've done something that is just, it's just wrong. And it's because we're made in his image. The Bible says all of us are made in his image. And if we've broken this glorious creation, it's going to affect us. And so, guys, what that means is we have to be awake to this. In our conversations at work, at university, at the school gates, it is the hot topic at the moment. And it's just going to get more and more of a contemporary thing. And we have to be a people who realize it's a glorious God-given stepping stone. I remember having a conversation a few years ago with a mate of mine, a girl from university, and we're at an Envision thing at the beach, Joss Bay, and I remember her sitting there, she wasn't a Christian, but she was so near, and I remember her sitting there, looking out at the sunset, and just going, and her eyes were filling up, and I, could, I knew the Spirit of God was just on her. You know those moments you think, this is nothing to do with me, this is just, oh, do it God, go, 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 you know. And she's just there, and creation is proclaiming to her, it's declaring a creator. And I just said to her, you know, the reality is, it's, it's awesome, this creation. But what's even more awesome is being able to thank the God who made it. Not just the creation, it's a stepping stone. It's, it's a signpost that has always existed. Romans 1 says it very, very clear. It says, man is without excuse because when you look around this creation, it proclaims a creator God. And we suppress that truth. And we, can, we are in a wonderful time. As a church, what's one of our key prophetic foundations? Strong in the arts. Strong in creativity. 
We are called as a body to, to replicate and to in some way echo what our God is like. He is the master creator. But we are called to be a people who don't just get creative for the sake of it and get a bit cool, dude, and do a few paintings. We do it because actually it's a glorious way as we say this is central to who our God is. And so we're going we're gonna to in some way echo that, not just to ourselves, but to this city. We want this city to see that for once and for all, the art and church should not be enemies. God is the great artist. He's the great creator. He's been proclaiming himself through creation since the foundations of the earth. We are catching up with that, going, wait a minute, maybe we should be a bit creative, and use that to actually proclaim to this city that God is real. It's a wonderful first way that our God proclaims his reality. That's why when the Tour de France happens in a few weeks' time, one of the core things that we are embracing with it is a creativity. We're not saying, well, this is mission. You know, we're doing evangelism, so we'll just go and talk. No, 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 we're bringing what God's made us into that. And so we're just trying to think outside the box and say, how can we demonstrate the people of God who are like their head, Jesus, who uses creativity to get the attention of this world? Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what we're doing. And I hope every one of you, when you feel about as creative as a block of wood, you know, is just saying, well, I want to play my part. Whatever it might be, Steve's going to be sharing some vision about that in the next few weeks. It's very exciting. Won't you still extend us? So number one, then, there's a creation declaration. But then we see... Gloriously, Christ do something unimaginable to display his passion for mission. We see an incarnation declaration, number two. You see, in verse 15, it says this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19 says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, the reality is, is that Jesus knew when he made this earth, he thought, well, look, they're now without excuse because I've made it in a way creation declares the reality of me. But our God is an unimaginably kind God, Jesus Christ. And now what we see is sort of step two in terms of his declaring his passion for mission. And he now does something that it just goes beyond imagination. And I know as Christians we get used to this, but we shouldn't be. He then puts on human flesh. Somehow God goes into the size of a fetus, into an actual fetus. And a little baby is born. And it grows strong into a young man. And then we get to know Jesus through the gospel. And we see a life that blows us away as God has become man. The reality is, I remember, uh, I've been a Christian about a year. And I remember at the pub having a chat with my mate Bob. And Bob's a big rugby playing guy, staunch atheist, Highly intelligent, anthropologist, PhDs coming out of his ears. And I remember Bob saying, well, the thing is, Tom, it's just that... Uh, actually, I won't do that. And he just said, Tom, the reality is, Tom, for me to believe in God, I mean, how can you believe in someone that just, you can't even see? How can you believe in something that's invisible? You know, for me to actually believe in God, I don't know, he'd, he would... He would literally just have to sort of come down from heaven somehow and just sort of come up to me and go, hi, I'm God. And I just sort of left... You know, the silence in the pub was just like, do you see what you just said, Bob? Because the reality is that is exactly what Christians believe. Exactly what you just said. It just didn't happen this year. It happened a couple of thousand years ago. Is that we believe the God who first declared his mission, his passion for mission through creation and said, well, I've done enough already, but now I'm going to put on human flesh and I'm going to come to this earth to declare to these guys who still haven't got it that I'm real and I'm for them and I want to live a life that declares glory to them. You know, the reality is, 
is that um, Daisy, our daughter, sometimes cries. Uh, you probably aren't surprised by that. And one of the times, uh, occasionally, when we put her to bed, she normally goes to bed just like, uh, she's out, you know, like a dad. And she's asleep. But occasionally, after 10 or so minutes, she's still like, wah, wah. so me and Joe's downstairs going, who's going to go? You're all right, I'll go. So as I go up the stairs, I'll often find myself doing something like, it's all right, honey, it's all right, pop it, that's coming, don't worry. And you're going to hear the cries go from a hysterical, to a kind of, and they're still screaming, but there's a little bit of a kind of, I think he's coming. But the moment she completely calms down, is when you open the door and she sees you, a little tear-stained face. She's all twisted around the cot, her legs are up at an angle because she's gone berserk, thrashing around, trying to make a point. And she's like, meow, meow, meow. And she sees me. She is human, by the way, in case you're wondering what sort of animal I've spawned. She's a very large hamster. No, um... So she sees me. Calming. She senses me coming near, calming. I pick her up, and she feels my touch. She's calm. Pull her right in. She can smell me. Pull her close. She feels the reality of me. You know, that's what our Jesus has done when he came to the earth. He cried out anyway, I'm coming through creation. But then step two was that he opened the door. He came into a lost and desperate world. He was screaming our heads off going, we don't know what the heck's going on. What is this reality called life? And he said, here I am. And it actually physically came in the person of Jesus. He physically came and walked this earth at a specific place in time so that there would be no doubt. An incarnation declaration. John 14, 9 says, Whoever has seen me, this is Jesus, has seen who? The Father. Jesus and the Father were totally one. And so we see here, he is the image of the invisible God. His life on earth of signs and wonders declared that God was walking this earth. His life of miracles and healings declared that God was on planet earth to reveal himself to this world. His life of an earthly authority was here to declare to this world that God was real. You know, when Jesus taught, the thing that so often the Pharisees and the scribes said was, where is this authority coming from? We perceive an authority that is freaking us out. It's weird. Because he was God. <laughs> when Jesus Christ went into the temple, and, and it should have been this glorious epicenter of passionate worship for Jesus, and it's like blue water. He goes, it's just commercialization everywhere. And he quite rightly kicks over some tables and gets rightly angry. And he said, this is my father's house. It should be a, a house of prayer for all nations. Not a place to make profit. And this is the authority of Jesus because he was God. It was an incarnation declaration. And what that means is, guys, that you and I, as well as being full of grace and humility and being people who are aware of our weaknesses, if we are going to represent our head in terms of passion for mission, we need to know the confidence of Christ. Because it now says, doesn't it? It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. How terrifying is that? Is that now we are the ambassadors of Christ. We, we are those that have Christ in us by the Holy Spirit and we now represent him. And we now to live lives where we are totally expecting the same levels of supernatural power that Jesus Christ had in his life. It is totally appropriate. That's what we were crying out to for this week. And we've been crying out for as a church. God, break in. 
breaking into a nation which, which, you know, yesterday there was a psychic fair somewhere around Canterbury. And you know, what those people are after is they want to see something other than just normal, logical, natural, explanatory, normal life. They want to see something of power. They want to see something supernatural. And they go into the wrong place. But that desire to see something higher than this world isn't actually wrong. They're just going to the counterfeit. We have the answer. Amen? Amen. We should be expecting, well, Jesus, your life declared through signs and wonders and healings and power and authority that you were endued with an anointing from heaven. And I feel completely and utterly weakened of myself. But there are people desperate to see power. Use me. Yes, I know it's a Monday morning. Yes, I feel absolutely rubbish. Yes, I just had an argument with my wife and my husband. Yes, I feel completely far away from you. But that doesn't change the fact that I'm righteous before you and you can use me if you want to. Lord, break out now in this bus. Give me a word of knowledge. Lord Jesus, Lord, give me something so that I can demonstrate the power of God to this world. The reality is God wants us to be a body that represents the head, that is in line with the head. Otherwise, we're just like an embarrassment. You know, the, have you guys seen that film, The Incredibles? Anyone here seen The Incredibles? If, it, 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 it's, it's fantastic. So much profound truth in there. And there's one bit where Mr. Incredible, the dad, he is like the, he's been the ultimate action hero for years. And then he's had to go into retirement, and he's, you know, he's now a family man. And there's a little bit where um, suddenly he gets called back into action. And his eyes light up, he's like, yay, back into, the, you know, back into the field, here we go. And his head and his mind is all like, I'm still that man, I'm still just as fit as I was, I can do this, here we go. And then there's the tragic scene where he tries to squeeze his way into his little uh, jumpsuit thing, and he's put on a few pounds, and his body doesn't represent his mind anymore in his head, and it's just like, rips, and it just rips, and you just see this sort of sad figure. And there's a bit where he kind of gets into this sort of catapult, or sort of, cannon thing, which is meant to shoot him out into sort of, you know, into his superhuman world. And he kind of, because of his tummy, he kind of gets stuck and he can't go. And the reality is, his body doesn't represent the head. In his head, he's still like, Mr. I can do anything. And his body is just a little bit different. And the reality is, is that we need to be a people who represent our head. And if our head, Jesus Christ, was one who, when he lived on this earth, his very life, his very incarnation ooze the power of God, we need to be like Elijah, who just say, God, I've prayed this a few times, but I'm going to pray it until I'm an old man with grey hair. Pour out your power. Pour out your power on me, God. Use me. Never let me get just satisfied with mediocre Christianity. Amen? Amen. So we see, first of all, a creation declaration. But then we secondly see God go up a gear when Jesus himself takes on human flesh the incarnation, and his life proclaims a passion for mission. That in every way, his life is screaming, God is on this earth, hello, will you wake up and see that I am here and I want to tell this world that God is here and he wants community. But then we see a profound and amazing third declaration of Jesus Christ's passion for mission. We see a substitution declaration. See, in verse 19 it says this, For in him, this is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We talk about the blood of the cross. We can just switch off, zoom out. We know that, we know that, we know that. That same God who put on human flesh, who proclaimed, guys, there is an urgency World, listen. Look at the signs and wonders and the power that's coming out. Realize I am God. 
You need to get right with God. There's something called sin in your life. It's called you doing your own thing. Living without reference to me. And ultimately that means if you die, you'll be judged and you will go to hell. You've got to get right. He boomed this out in his life. He talked a lot about hell. He talked a lot about the reality of judgment. But this is the wonderful Jesus. Because he wasn't just like a prophet in that way, declaring it. We see here in this third step, he then also, as it were, declares a priestly thing. Because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to hear the truth of reality, you went to the prophets. They were scary, they were freaky, they were just blunt. And they said to you, you've got to get right with God. But then the priests were the ones you went to in response. They were the ones that offered the hope. They were the ones that said, yeah, it's true, it's serious. But listen, listen up. If you bring your animal, if you bring your sacrifice, and if I check it out, like we talked about last week, and it's good enough, God will look upon that, he will see your heart in that, and he will forgive you. All the focus is going to be on the, on the quality of the animal. And then you will be forgiven. It was the priestly role. And what we find here, staggeringly, is that Jesus Christ was the perfect priest. When he went to the cross and he died, he wasn't just someone arranging a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. He was the perfect lamb. He gave himself on the cross so that we could know forgiveness. And in that, he substituted himself. He substituted himself. He said the reality is, is that if you were to face your holy God, you would have to give an account for your sins and it wouldn't be good. But I am going to take your place. Father, pour your anger on his sins onto me. Do it. Go on, do it. And the Father did it. Out of love for us. There was a substitution. A substitution. The substitution of substitutions was made. And in that, God, Jesus, declared yet to another level his passion for mission. He wasn't just coming to this earth to say, there's a God and you've got to get right with him, which would have been amazing anyway. He then came and he said, do you know what? And I will be the solution to your problem. I will be the one that stands and takes the punishment that you should have had freely. Freely I give it to you because I love you. He was our substitute. And in that we see yet another level of commitment to mission. What a God. What levels of staggering commitment to mission. First of all declaring it in creation. Then declaring it through his very incarnation on this earth. But then thirdly declaring it by going to the cross and providing the solution to the problem that he came to tell us about. What a God. What a God. And what that means for us is that we have good news to proclaim. It means that when we go out into our normal day lives taking Jesus with us, we remember the fact that we come saying, yes, there's a serious situation. But guess what? We're not just coming to diagnose, we're coming to cure. We bring the cure. Yes, we say there are things in your life that Jesus says need to get sorted out. But we also say Jesus has paid the price. And you can't add to it. You can't make yourself even more holy. It's just a free gift from God that you have to get connected with and say, I trust him. It's glorious. And you know, the reality is, if you're anything like me, sometimes I just forget, I, I've, I've spoken to a few people and they've bitten my head off about Jesus. And so I kind of think, well, everyone hates Jesus. Everyone hates the message of the cross. And so I'm like, well, if someone really desperately pleads with me to talk about God, I might do. And the reality is, you know, Corinthians says, to some it is the fragrance of death. But to others who are being saved, it is the aroma of life. 
when they hear about this substitution, when they hear about a God who gave himself on the cross, there will be people that as we just faithfully communicate to them the gospel, their eyes will light up, tears will flow, their hearts will be warmed and they go, that's the best news I've ever heard. I know I'm so far from perfect. I've just tried to pretend I'm pretty good. And, and I know in comparison with some horrendous people, I'm not that bad. But I know, I know I need a saviour. <laughs> I know I need someone to lift me out of this pit. I've got everything in the world. I've got all the money. I've got the status. Everyone thinks I'm together. I've got a 10 million pound business. I've got 60 cars. I've got a ma- My life's hollow because I'm not living with my creator. And our God says, listen, listen, I took the pain. I took the substitute. I was your substitute. So that you and the Father and, and you could be connected with God. We have good news to proclaim. But what it also means is, is that we have to get something of the love that Jesus Christ has for this city into our hearts. Now I know if I was to ask you, do you love Canterbury? Do you love wherever you're from in the Canterbury area? I'm sure you'd say, yeah, we do. We want to see all our neighbours. And, and I know that and I feel that. But I just feel prophetically in this day, I just, every time I preach, all I'm finding I'm preaching is the gospel. I'm just like, what's going on? I'm trying to preach, just the gospel, it's just coming back again. And I feel God as a church is saying to us, there is a new depth of passion and love for this city. He wants to just burn on our hearts. He will not, it's not acceptable. It is not acceptable for a single member of this church to just not burn with the passion for this city and the lost. It is not acceptable. And you know that. And if you're here today, you know I'm not saying that as if I'm in any way judging you. I'm just saying when we look at the scriptures and we look at our God who hung on a cross for us and the commitment he just demonstrated to Canterbury in that, we are a people in response that need to be a people that as long as we are here, and I pray for all of you, it's for a huge length of time because I'm here until I die unless God calls me elsewhere. That is the mindset we all need to have, okay? We're called to where we are now until God says, hello, I want you over there. That's what it's about. It's not a little transitory thing. We're not playing at church. This is the real thing. We've got one chance, this side of glory at it, and I want to give it everything. Amen? Look under your chairs. You'll find a bit of paper, a little gift. Everyone here, under all your chairs. Jesus wants a new level of passion for this city. Now, there are over... There's over, there's over 600 streets in this city, okay? Look after it. It's precious. That bit of paper. There's over 600 streets in this, in this city. How many streets? Over oh, thank you. Over 600. How many of them do we want to be filled with the glory of Christ? All of them. 200? No. 500? Over 600. We want every single street to be filled with the glory of Christ. Now, could someone just read out one of their names? Just shout it out. Nackington, okay. Stodmarsh Road. Road, okay. Great, thanks, that's great. So the reality is, probably for a lot of you, you're thinking, well, this is nice, but I don't know anyone in the street. Uh, I don't really know where it is. I've never even heard of it. Is it real? Is Tom having a laugh? Well, I assure you they're all real. And I want you to take that home with you. And I want, seriously, I want you to put it somewhere you're going to remember. Put it on your, on your pin board or above your bed, or whatever. And I want us all to commit to praying to the, for this street. Now, you're going to say, but Tom, this is silly. I don't know anyone in this street. Well, maybe you might do, actually, but just assume that you don't. But the reality is, who knows everyone who lives in those streets? Who knows? 
God does. And he knows that in every way, every silly little practical way that we express to God in faith we're serious, he will honour it. I believe it. So let's just do a little experiment. Um, Kim Bagley. Does everyone know Kim? Kim, stand up, will you? Woo, let's thank Kim. Let's just welcome Kim. Now, Kim, how long have you been a Christian? Uh, two and a half years. Fantastic. Only two and a half years. It's so exciting. Has it been a good two and a half years? Oh, yeah. Pretty good. Right, okay. Now, Kim, um, where do you live in Canterbury? Zealand Road. Oh, Zealand Road. I've heard of Zealand Road. Has anyone here got Zealand Road? Over here! Actually, Susan, can, Suzanne, can you come over here? Can you come here? That's wonderful. Let's just applaud, because we like to applaud. So, Suzanne, had you heard of Zealand Road before today? You had? Okay, that's good. But some of you wouldn't have done. But uh, that's, that's good. So you know, and did you know anyone in Zealand Road? No. No? But now you do. So now... Zealand Road has meaning to you. And I don't know how many... Anyone know how many houses are on Zealand Road? Steve Bree will know. A couple of hundred? 150. So we've got one so far. Thank you, God. We're grateful. We are very grateful. And there's probably a few others we don't know about, but we've got one so far. Should we just pray for Zealand Road? Should we do it? God, we ask now. We thank you for Kim. But we say, God, give us more. Lord, we pray for Suzanne, Lord, as she commits to praying for this. Lord, we just pray you'd give us breakthrough in Zealand Road. Lord, we say it. We don't even know who to pray for. Some of us may know some people, but we say, God, we're serious. We want this road. We want this road for your glory, Lord. You are so committed. You substituted yourself for every person in that street that they should know the glory of Jesus. We say, do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. One more. Okay. Um, Dawn Kirby, is she here? Dawn. Dawn's at the back. Hey. Dawn, stand up. Dawn, how long have you been a Christian? Year and a half, great. So you're a newbie too. Fantastic. Where, where do you live? What's your street called? No, 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 no. Where do you actually live? Gillam Muse. Anyone got Gillam Muse? No. Oh dear, it's gone rather wrong. Okay, well, Lord, we need to make another one for, for Gillam Muse. But Lord, we just pray. Lord, you break into that street as well. And everyone said? Amen. Okay, you get the point anyway. You understand what I'm saying. So the reality is is that we are called to be, we are called to be a people who are passionate about Canterbury in the details, okay? Not just punching the air every so often because I ask you to, but because genuinely there's a new mindset coming, a new level of zeal and passion for this city, one person at a time. When we think of there's over 52,000 permanent residents of this city, and we did a little kind of working out how many people in different churches. And we think there might be three, maybe 4% of people going to churches that we know of. There's over 35,000 students that come to the city. And we did a little rough straw thing. And we think there might be 1.25%, something like maybe 1.5% who are in churches that we know of. And obviously there'll be a few Christians who aren't in churches. But the point is, we've got a bit of work to do. The point is, is that... As great it is to gather in here and to have the problem of size and to have the problem that we need to expand and, Lord, give us a building because we're outgrowing here, the reality is, and just hear this, I personally, and I know you'll agree, I will not be satisfied until we see every person in this city one for Christ. Amen? That's the deal. That's the deal. We're not about comparing ourselves to other churches. That's not how we gauge how we're doing. That's not it at all. We are gauging ourselves on how many people don't know Jesus. And until the day when we've got every person 
Until the day then, we see everyone presented with the gospel. We will say, God is not acceptable. Lord, we're just not prepared. We are just going to be like Jacob and we're going to wrestle with you. And we can say, God, do something new. We are giving ourselves hook, line and sinker. I love the domain name that Steve Bree has got for the Tour de France stuff. It's called lovecanterbury.com. Love Can- I love that. There's something in that. And I know it's got so much life even beyond the event. Love Canterbury. There's a, there's a sense in which God is calling us to love this city to a new degree. Why? Because when we look at the cross, we see a level of commitment to mission. That means we are going to do nothing less but give us 100%. And really specifically, you know, church, if we're going to see God grow us, will change. It will keep changing. That's one of the biggest costs. All of us, whether you're young and old, don't like change. I don't like change. I like rhythm and routine. And yet we pray, God, send revival. Give us hundreds more. But even if we change from 300 to 600, it will feel so different. And I just want to say that because we have to mentally get ready for that or else we're just immature. We're just like saying one thing and just on spiritual milk. We've got to continue to say, God, and I know what that means is this. What that actually means, if we grow from 300 to 600, what it actually means is I will feel more lost than I did when it was 300. And I have to fight that. I have to choose to take responsibility and fight that and say, I want to play my part. I don't want to give in and just go, well, I'll just do something different then. No, no, I'm going to give myself because I believe in this church. I want to see it be built as a big, glorious, resourcing church for this region. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to give myself to it. You know, the reality is what it will mean is it will mean that, okay, there's this new guy, Frank, he's got saved. And can you disciple him, Roger? And, or can you disciple him, whoever? And you'll be like, yes, yes. Oh, but just realize that Frank, the only night he can be discipled, the only night he can really give himself to that is a Wednesday night. But Grand Designs is on a Wednesday night. I love it's my favourite program. Oh no. But but what about Frank? Well, it's gonna be that kind of thing in the years to come. It's, I know it sounds silly, but it's gonna be that kind of one sacrifice at a time. And the only antidote to just staying the same and just not giving ourselves is to say, God, you went to the cross. You substituted yourself because you were so passionate about mission. And my life isn't even my own anymore. That's the fundamental truth. So I give myself. I push through my fleshliness. That would say, oh, comfort zone. Keep it the same. No, no, no. There's an urgency that I just will not settle. God, break in in this city. Bring revival. Do something incredible, God, that demonstrates your power. Do it. Accompany the gospel with your power. So we see here, first of all, a creation declaration. I'm passionate about mission, demonstrating it through creation. Secondly, an incarnation declaration. I'm here, life's full of signs and wonders, God is here. Number three, we see a substitution declaration. I'm also providing the solution. How about that? That's how committed to mission I am. But fourthly, and with this we finish, we see a resurrection declaration. Because we see here, you see, in verse 18, says these glorious words. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now you see, in the Jewish mindset, most Jews, apart from Sadducees, certainly Pharisees and most of the Jews, believed in a literal resurrection of the dead. That when, on that final day of judgment, when all of our destinies are decided, that there would, for those who are the people of God, be a resurrection. That they would be raised to life. But this is the big, this is the big idea. By that point, it would be too late. All of the destinies would be decided. And so you see, when we see this phrase here, that Christ was the firstborn from the dead, is that Christ brought forward his resurrection 
out of kindness and mercy to demonstrate to this world it was one day going to happen for certain and you've still got time. You see, with the Jewish mindset of, well, when it happens, it will be the end of the age. In a sense, well, it would be great, but if you're a goner, you're a goner. When Jesus brought it forward, he was saying, out of his kindness and love and passion for mission, look, what's happening to me can happen to you if you give your life to Jesus. But there's an urgency, and that's why he extended it forward into the present. Or now it's the, now it's the past. It's a bit like if you're a parent, you know, and you're, you're saying to your child, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and four fifths, and you're extending your grace. And you're pulling it forward so that that child has a chance to respond. And God in his mercy and because of his passion for mission, he changed something that the Jews would, they would have been, what's happening? It's already, Christ is, the Messiah's already risen again? Yes, because he was so passionate about communicating. We've had 2,000 years for this world to look at the resurrection and go, wake up, it's a kind of unusual event. You're going to use it to go, God is real and thank goodness I've got, got all right with God in time. Jesus Christ, even in his resurrection, declared his passion for mission. It's so glorious. It's so glorious. So as we come to an end, I want to say this. Is that maybe that you here today, you may be uh, someone and you're not a Christian. You may be someone here and you've maybe been here many times before. And you've heard this gospel thing. And, and, and you've heard it and you thought, yeah, you know, one day I should probably make a decision. I just feel God would say today is the day for you. Is that in view of this fourfold declaration of Jesus' passion for you to know him, in all those ways I've explained, I want to appeal to you with every fibre of my being for today to be the day when you do business with God. And in a minute, I'm just going to ask us all to shut our eyes and we're not going to spend hours doing this. But if that's you, and it may be that you're someone... And you know the gospel inside out. Maybe, that, maybe you've just heard it for the first time today. Maybe that you think, well, I kind of understand it, but uh, I can't understand absolutely everything, so I'm just going to hold fire. And God would say to you, it's good to use your mind, but there also comes a point where you will never fully understand absolutely everything. And actually you need to make that step of faith. And so we're just going to close our eyes now. I just want to encourage you today, if you are someone and you know you haven't given your life to Jesus, but you've heard the truth today and perhaps they've impacted you in a fresh way, that in all those different ways, you've just realized that God could not have done anything more to communicate the fact that he loves you, that there is an urgency that you need to give your life to him, and that today, you just want to do that. You want to say, Lord Jesus, I've gone my own way. I recognize that if I keep going this way, it's going to lead in judgment, and I want to get right with you. I want to know what it is to have the creator of the universe at the center of my life. Forgiveness and inclusion into your family. If that's you here, can I just say right now, can you just be bold and just put your hand in the air? There's no one watching. Just a signal to God that you know you want to give your life to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, brother. God saw that. Hallelujah and for the woman next to him. Praise God. If you guys just maybe want to talk to me afterwards, that'd be wonderful. Well, I think it'd be good just to finish with a song. So, uh, Caroline and maybe, maybe Ryan, yeah, the band want to come up. Just keep it quiet, maybe not too loud. I'd, I'd also want to pray. I'd love 
just now, we've got a few moments. If you've got to zoom off to get your kids, that's, that's great. I'd love to pray with you if you know that your passion for mission, if you're a Christian here, your passion for mission has grown cold. I want to, I want to pray for you, and I believe God's going to touch you. I believe that. If you think, actually, I just know my passion, my passion for mission, it just doesn't reflect the head. You know, I'm just out of shape, and my God is so passionate, and I'm so lukewarm. I want to come forward as soon as we start to play. Or if you're here, thank you, I almost forgot the last one. Uh, if you're here and you're sick, you are physically ill, I believe God wants to come and touch you today. I want you to come forward, okay? And we've got guys who want to pray with you. So if you've given your life to Jesus, I'd love just to encourage you, as we all stand, just to make your way forward. If you're someone here, maybe let's just stand now, shall we?